Coming up, why I've got some questions about Notre Dame's recruiting strategy on the defensive line, what impact grad transfer running back Devin Ford might have, plus the University of Notre Dame is a school of champions once again. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish. It is May 31st, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. Whether you're watching along on YouTube or listening on your preferred podcast platform, I appreciate you joining me here today, and I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. All I ask is that you please subscribe to the show if you have not already. My name is Tyler Wojcik, and I am the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum and have been podcasting about the football team since 2020. I've also been covering college football as a producer for the past five seasons, first for ESPN and now at the Fox Sports uh, headquarters in Los Angeles. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And in today's episode, we've got to talk about the new national champions in men's lacrosse, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, led by the legendary coach Kevin Corrigan. I admit... I jumped on the bandwagon pretty late, um, but I had such a blast watching the semifinal game against Virginia and the national championship over Duke, so I can't wait to talk about that in segment three. As for the football team, the Irish added another grad transfer over the weekend in running back Devin Ford out of Penn State, so I'll explain what I think it means for the Notre Dame running back room in segment two, but I want to start today's show um, with some recruiting talk because I've seen a lot of different reactions to Owen Wafel's decommitment over the past few days from fans and people who cover the team. And some of it, I believe, is fair, and some of it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. So let's do some background here. Owen Wafel was actually the first commit to Notre Dame in the class of 2024, and then he decommitted last Wednesday. On that same day, Notre Dame added a commit from another defensive lineman, albeit a different position at Viper, whereas Wafel's more of an interior defensive lineman. Um, Notre Dame added Logan Thomas, the four-star defensive end, um, in their class of 2024. That same day, I had Kevin Sinclair, the recruiting insider uh, for Irish Illustrated and 24-7 Sports, on the show that day, and I asked him point blank, are these two events related? And he said no. So he's like, okay, that makes sense. Now, that's not to say that Notre Dame is in the market already for another interior defensive lineman, and now I think some fans are interpreting it as Notre Dame has moved on from Owen Wafel to make room for Sean Seviano, who's expected to make his commitment um, on Friday, June 2nd. Notre Dame appears to be in great position, wink, wink, uh, to land Seviano, but it's, it does seem weird to me, right? Because Owen Wafel is not a bum by any means. He's six foot two, 290 pounds. He goes to Hun School in New Jersey. He's a four-star prospect. He's currently rated as the number 405 player nationally and the number 41 defensive lineman in his class by the 24-7 sports composite. And already, right after this news broke that he was decommitting from Notre Dame, he had an official visit scheduled to Michigan on June 9th. And I've already seen some crystal balls that suggest that Owen Wafel is going to commit to Michigan in the near future. And now, as for Sean Seviano, who's expected to be the replacement for uh, Owen Wafel in this class, He's 6'2", 315 to 320 pounds. He's a, he's a big dude. Um, he plays football at Clearwater Academy in Florida, but this is not one of the top programs in Florida. It's not like a St. Thomas Aquinas or anything like that. Uh, the opponents that Sean Seviano is playing is sort of mixed. Uh, some teams are good. Some teams are not. Sometimes you watch the film and see some of the guys he's going against. You're like, dude, that guy should be in middle school, let alone a high school football field. Although then, then again, that's probably what people said about me when I was playing high school. But that's neither here nor there. Sean Seviano, if you look at the recruiting rankings, uh, he's actually significantly lower rated uh, than Wafel, which is interesting. However, Ohio State was actually considered the leader for Seviano for a while. And 
Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach at Ohio State, is one of, if not the best, defensive line coaches in all of college football. So I think that says a lot about the type of player he could be. Clearly, people are high on him. Uh, he also had offers from Auburn and Miami. And the scouting reports on him have been up and down. So I think a lot of fans have questions about, one, why would Owen Wafel um, decommit from Notre Dame? Why, I guess a better question would be, why would Notre Dame want to move on from Owen Wafel to make room for Sean Seviano? And I think that's fair. Because to be honest with you, point blank, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't understand why, at the end of May, Notre Dame would feel the need to make one guy decommit for another guy at the same position at this point. Because why wouldn't Notre Dame want to just keep taking more guys? Now, I understand that there's a limit to every position. There's the 85-man scholarship limit. Obviously, I get all that. But Notre Dame isn't even at the 85-man limit today. And in modern college football, there's so much roster turnover. I feel like Notre Dame could probably afford to take both of these guys in the class. Now, if it's a situation where... They look at Wafel and they they you know realize that they misread or misinterpreted the scouting evaluation and they want to move on from him. Okay, I, I understand that could happen at some point, but when you want to see the senior senior play out uh, first before you make that decision, and the fact that he's already scheduled an official visit to Michigan says something to me. And I know we all like to make fun of Michigan. I hate Michigan, um, and you certainly don't want to lose recruits to them, partially because there's a reporter at On3, who works for Michigan, who some of you, if you're online, if you're on Twitter, you know who I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're probably better off because I'm not even going to mention him. He's basically uh, one part reporter, one part online Notre Dame troll. So I'm not going to give him any more attention on this podcast. But the fact that Mike Elston, who's the defensive line coach at Michigan, who Notre Dame fans are well aware of because he was the defensive line coach at Notre Dame for over a decade, the fact that he wants um, Wayful is interesting to me. Because say what you want about Michigan and for all the hatred that we could throw at them, Mike Elson is a good evaluator of talent. You can't deny that. And even though he left for Michigan, you might not like him and you might not like that decision. His prowess as an evaluator of talent, I don't really think that's debatable. He was responsible for some great defensive lines while he was the coach at Notre Dame. So the fact that he's high on Wayful, it doesn't make me feel great that Notre Dame was willing to move on him or move away from him like they did. Now, you could make the case, well, maybe Notre Dame thinks they're in good position to land Justin Scott and Elijah Rushing. Maybe, but it feels way too premature to be that confident in getting commitments from both of those guys at this point in time because they're both five stars. We know how the recruitments of those types of guys goes. It's going to go late into the process. It's going to go all the way up to National Signing Day. So to already think that you've got both of those in the bag seems just crazy to me. I don't think that's the case at all. To be completely honest with you guys, I don't think Justin Scott is going to commit to Notre Dame. All right. I know that there's some people out there who have him crystal ball to Notre Dame, but there's a lot more people who have him going to Miami. And I think that there's a good reason for that. We all know how Miami is in the NIL market. They're certainly going to be willing to throw some money at him, which I get. And hey, let's be honest here, okay? For as bad as Miami has been on the football field recently, can we all agree that the idea of going to Miami to play college football and make good money doing it is probably pretty attractive to an eight-year-old kid or 18-year-old kid, excuse me. Miami's a pretty cool place. I'm going there in a few weeks for vacation. So I, I get that part. Now, again, there's still plenty of reasons why he would go to Notre Dame. He's close to home, all that. And I get all that. But right now, I think Notre Dame is behind in that recruitment. And the coaching staff is going to continue to work, obviously. Scott's got four official visits lined up in the month of May. Starting this weekend, uh, he's going to Georgia for his official visit. Then he's got a visit to Michigan planned the following weekend. 
then Miami, and then Ohio State. Right now, he doesn't have an official visit scheduled to Notre Dame. Now, that could obviously change. He's only two hours away from Notre Dame, so he could take an unofficial visit practically at any time. But I don't think it's a good thing. It's I think it's a red flag that he doesn't have anything lined up with Notre Dame right now when he's getting close to making a decision. So I don't know why Notre Dame would feel comfortable letting uh, Owen Wafel walk, even if they think that they've got a good lean right now on Justin Scott. That just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I don't feel great about this move particularly. Now, maybe Owen Wafel sucks. Like I'm not saying he's going to be some great college player. I just think that at this point in the recruiting cycle, you should be willing to take more guys on, more guys who want to come to Notre Dame, uh, than be willing to let one go. Now, I'm, I'm basically acting on the assumption that this was a decision by Notre Dame to move on. I could be wrong here. Um, and we, a lot of other people could be wrong because this is just how it's been reported. And maybe it was a scenario where Owen Wafel started looking at Michigan. Notre Dame got wind of that. And we're like, you know what? Maybe we just go both go our separate ways. If you're already looking around and you're already looking elsewhere, we're already not that high on you. Let's just let's just both go our separate ways. If that if that was the case, then I understand that a little bit more. But I'm not totally sure that's what happened here. Now, credit to Wafel when he announces his decommitment. He said nothing but good things about Notre Dame. It did seem to be a very uh, good breakup, I guess, so to speak. So we'll just have to see what happens. Now, I think fans are looking at this like, okay, what is going on with Notre Dame's recruiting strategy on the defensive line? I think it's fair, um, especially if Justin Scott does not elect to go to Notre Dame. This is where Elijah Rushing, the five-star Viper, comes into play because if Notre Dame is able to sign him on National Signing Day, then a lot of the conversations about what is Notre Dame doing on the defensive line, I think that's going to go away. If they're able to get him to commit and then sign, on National Signing Day. Those are two big ifs right there. And even though Notre Dame appears to be in a good position now, this is going to go on for a long time. Notre Dame is going to have to fight all the way to the very end. So overall, I think it's fair to be uh, for fans to be concerned about the state of recruiting right now, particularly on defense. This is something that I went over with Kevin Sinclair last week, where Notre Dame's been getting a lot of guys who are basically projects. They're pretty low-rated recruits right now. If you look at the rankings, and while I understand that those aren't gospel, so to speak. They're usually a pretty good indicator of future success. It's not really a surprise that Georgia and Alabama, the two teams who finish first and second every single year in the recruiting rankings, are consistently the first and second best teams in college football. It's because they're getting the best talent, and the best talent is in the top 100 and the top 300 in the class. And right now, Logan Thomas is the only player on defense in Notre Dame's class of 2024 who is ranked in the top 300. Could it get better? Yes. Obviously, Notre Dame is still in the running for Elijah Rushing and Justin Scott. And if they get both of those guys, like this conversation is basically obsolete. But basically, this is all setting up for an absolutely massive month of June for Notre Dame's recruiting class. At the time of this recording, Notre Dame is set to host 22 uncommitted prospects during the next month, plus 17 of the committed prospects. So, We're going to find out a lot about where Notre Dame stands with these uncommitted guys over the course of the next few weeks, and I'll I'll obviously be talking about it a lot on the podcast as we get more and more information um, after these official visits happen. So right now, I'm a little concerned. I don't understand the move. If this was truly the case, if Notre Dame did decide to move on from Owen Wafel solely to make room from Sean Saviano, I don't get it because I think that they could have afforded to take both if things were to change over the course of these next few months and they realize, hey, we're getting kind of close to the scholarship limit. Wafel, we are not really sure. Then they move on from him. Okay, maybe. And if Owen Wafel was looking elsewhere, I get that too. But right now, that's not really how it's being reported. That's not how I'm interpreting it. So the conversation today, it's not great, but it could change drastically a month from now. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right, coming up in segment two, what should we expect from Notre Dame's new grad transfer running back, Devin Ford? 
Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Personally, my favorite part about FanDuel is the instant payouts. It's such a smooth process, especially compared to some of the other sites out there. So if you haven't tried it out yet, trust me, you don't want to wait any longer. That's because there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. Now that we've gone over the latest with Notre Dame's recruitment of high school prospects, let's shift gears to the transfer portal because the Irish picked up another grad transfer over the weekend in running back Devin Ford out of Penn State. Ford announced his commitment to Notre Dame on Friday, and I'm going to be honest, I did not see it coming at all. When I first saw the graphic on my phone, I was looking at it like, what? Who's Devin Ford? Because I thought he was a high school recruit, and I'm thinking, wait, how have I never heard of this guy's name before? Now he's going to Notre Dame? Like, that seems surprising. Well, it's because he was actually in the transfer portal, and he was not a high school prospect. So I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. This is obviously a byproduct of Logan Diggs' decision to transfer to LSU. Notre Dame had a scholarship available in the running back room, and they had an opportunity to fill it, and they did with Devin Ford. So I get that. And it makes total sense to me why Notre Dame would want to add a transfer running back because... Um, Notre Dame, you know, they've got Audrey Castame, who's about as sure of a thing as they come. I think he's going to have a great season for Notre Dame. But behind him, they've got a bunch of question marks. Jabron Payne, he's going to be a retro freshman. Um, he looked good in spring practice, but he has no real experience at the college level at this point. He battled injuries throughout high school, and he actually was dealing with an injury during his freshman season at Notre Dame. Then you've got Jadarian Price, who was very highly touted, at least after spring practice. People were talking about him being potentially better than Diggs and Estime, which is something that I brought up a bunch of this podcast, but it's it's worth repeating, honestly. Then obviously he suffered that torn Achilles injury. I don't know if the his recovery process is going as quickly as Notre Dame had hoped for. Now, that's not to say that he can't contribute this fall, but he's recovering from a very serious injury, so that's another question mark as well. Jeremiah Love is going to be a true freshman, and while I think he's a great raw athlete, he has literally zero experience at this point at the college level. He hasn't even been on campus yet and been a participant in practice, so there's that. Chris Tyree moved to receiver, and I, I, they're going to keep him there, which I, I think is what Notre Dame should do. Now, maybe if some injuries happen, they could get Chris Tyree some work in the backfield just to get him some reps in practice, just to keep him fresh, um, and so he's not too rusty acting as a real running back. But I think he's going to be more productive this season as a slot receiver. So Notre Dame had a, had a need at running back. They needed some depth. So I think at this point, Notre Dame's got one sure thing and now four question marks as opposed to three. And that's okay. Really, from Notre Dame's perspective, of those four, you really only need one of those guys to really step up and be a really quality contributor. But if you could get two, that's even better. And for my expectations for Ford, I'm going to be honest, they're pretty low. Okay, And that's because if you look at it statistically, he had a good freshman season in 2019 for Penn State. He had 52 carries for 294 yards and three touchdowns. Um, now, I think 81 of those yards came on one play. And then every year after that, his production went down just a little bit. 
Um, he actually got more carries in 2020, which was a COVID-shortened season, obviously, especially for the Big Ten. But And he only had 274 rushing yards and three touchdowns. And then in 2021 and 2022, he's basically a non-factor. Over the course of the past two years, he's had a total of 21 carries for 98 yards. So he was really not a big-time producer there at all. And really, it just comes down to this. Penn State has recruited the running back position extremely well over the past couple of years, and those guys beat out Devin Ford. It happens. You could make the case that Penn State has one of, if not the best running back tandems in all of college football in Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. Nicholas Singleton would have been, it would have been really nice to get him to come to Notre Dame, especially after seeing what he did for Penn State as a true freshman. My God, is he talented. And it sounded like Notre Dame was really close to landing him, but he opted to go to Penn State. And both of those guys jumped Evan Ford in the depth chart. And last year, Ford announced his decision to, to quit the team at Penn State after the first four games in order to preserve a year of, el- of eligibility, which is important as it relates to his career at Notre Dame because he's actually he actually has two seasons of eligibility left. But the timeline is just interesting. One, because he committed to Notre Dame so late in the process. And he obviously left the team last year at Penn State to preserve that year, but then he didn't enter his name in the transfer portal when the season ended, so you're like, that's kind of odd. Some people actually thought that Devin Ford might be retiring from football for good. Now, when he did leave the team, the coaching staff at Penn State had nothing but great things to say about him. James Franklin said, literally, he's one of his favorite players in the entire team, even though he's not supposed to have favorites. I think it's because of Ford's attitude and his work ethic. So from that standpoint, that's great. Uh, It's great to have a guy like that come into the locker room, especially a guy who's a grad transfer, because I think that's got to be just a weird process when you're the new guy on the team, especially if you're older and you're going into a running back room that has a bunch of talented players like the one at Notre Dame. Um, And he has to understand that he's not going to be the guy. If anything, he's going to be fighting for like a backup spot at the depth chart early on. So if he has this kind of attitude and he has this kind of work ethic, then I have no questions about how he's going to sort of fit in with the locker room. But First production on the field, I think maybe the best case for Ford this season would be something similar to Logan Diggs, but not the Logan Diggs of last year. I'm talking about the Logan Diggs in 2021 when he had 52 carries for 230 yards and three touchdowns. Now, most of those carries came later on in the season because he was a true freshman, didn't get a ton of action at all in the first half of the season, but then really came on in the second half. Or maybe he could be like a Sebo Flemister. Uh, Flemister's career at Notre Dame did not end great. Uh, to say the least, but he did have a good year in 2020 as a third back. He had 58 carries for 299 yards and five touchdowns that season. So if he's like a quality third option for Notre Dame, I think that's good to have. We've talked before on this podcast about how the running backs coach, Dylan McCullough, certainly likes to rotate a lot of guys. So I understand why he wanted to add a fifth guy into the room. But Overall, this doesn't really change my expectations for the Notre Dame running back room that much because it's really going to go as far as Audrey Castame goes. I think he's poised to have an absolutely incredible uh, incredible season this year as the clear number one guy. He's not going to be splitting carries with Logan Diggs like the plan was initially, but he's still going to have to rotate because playing a running back is just – it's such an exhausting position. It's also injury-prone by nature, so – Notre Dame's going to need a quality number two and even a pretty decent number three option. So I think that's where Ford fits in. The one good thing about Ford, I think, is that his veteran presence is going to be good because Payne, Price, and Love have little to no experience at the college level. So having a guy like Ford and then another veteran like Audrey Esme, I think it's good for the room and I think it's good for the Notre Dame offense as a whole because now they have some more depth. But I just don't really think 
that he's going to be able. He's. I don't think that he's going to be producing a ton on the field for Notre Dame on Saturdays. Now, I could be wrong, and maybe this is like the second chance that Ford desperately needed, and he's going to have a really solid, productive season this year for Notre Dame, and maybe that continues over into next year. That's certainly the best case scenario. I'm trying to be a little bit more realistic. I think it was a good add for the room. I think it was important for depth, but I don't have super high expectations for what Ford is going to do on the field on Saturdays in the blue and gold. All right, it's time to give some love to the Notre Dame men's lacrosse team for bringing home their first national championship in school history. That's coming up next. Okay, I want to wrap up today's show by giving a huge shout-out to the Notre Dame men's lacrosse team for slaying the Dragon, defeating Duke 13-9 to to win their first national championship in school history. And look, I'll be the first to say that I'm not a lacrosse expert by any means. As a matter of fact, I was a lacrosse hater uh, from most of my childhood and into high school because I played baseball. And I think there's just a natural rivalry between baseball players and lacrosse players. If you played either of those sports, you know what I'm talking about. They're both in the spring, and they're both kind of cultish. Like, let's be honest, if you play baseball, it's a little bit of a cult, especially now. Like, baseball fans, hey, and I'm listen, I'm wearing a Cleveland Guardians hat right now. I get it. I'm fully a part of it. But I think lacrosse is the same thing on the other side. So I, I used to have this grudge against lacrosse because it was like, oh, baseball is just better. And you know what? I still am a bigger baseball fan. But I got to say, man, watching these two games, it was so much fun. All right, so I was keeping up with the score during the semifinal game against Virginia uh, on my phone, but I started to watch the game with two and a half minutes left. It was kind of like the perfect time to jump into the game. Notre Dame was down 11 to 9, and then right after I started watching, they scored two quick goals to tie it at 11 uh, with two, I think it was like just over two minutes left in regulation. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to win it. This is going to be awesome. And then they gave up a goal to go down one with just under a minute left. So now they're down 12 to 11 with not that much time remaining. Coach Corrigan calls timeout, draws something up, and then Jake Taylor scored a goal to tie it up again with just over 30 seconds left. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this is insane. Like, lacrosse is the best. There's so much action down at the wire. And then they go into overtime. Notre Dame wins. What a goal. What a game. And then you're like, oh, my God, now they've got Duke again. So then I wasn't able to watch the first half of the game against Duke, and I just see that Notre Dame is up 6-1 to one at halftime. And finally I'm able to jump in the game. And then, oh, my God, like that six to one lead evaporated in like a second. OK, so if you if you weren't following the game, Notre Dame was up six to one coming out of the half. And then Duke just starts scoring at will, basically. And they tie the game up at seven with one. I think it was one oh seven left in the third. And you're thinking, oh, my God, Notre Dame is going to choke this away. This sucks so bad. It's going to be Duke again. And then. Notre Dame outscored them 6-2 the rest of the way to secure the win. It was Notre Dame's 26th NCAA tournament appearance, all under head coach Kevin Corrigan, by the way, in their first ever national championship. And every time they made the national championship under Kevin Corrigan, it was against Duke. So Notre Dame lost a heartbreaker to Duke in 2010, losing 6-5 in overtime. They lost another heartbreaker in 2014 by a score of 11-9. And now finally... Notre Dame gets that national championship win that they so desperately coveted, and the fact that they were able to get it over Duke, the team who had stopped them from getting the pass two, I think it makes it all the more special. And I had a blast watching it. You could see on the faces of all the players after the game how much it meant to them. And then when they went to the crowd, and you saw some other former players just so thrilled, so thrilled for those guys uh, and the coach as well. So credit to Notre Dame for continuing the fight in the face of adversity uh, and getting the win because I think when they blew that lead and it was 7-7, seven to seven, like a lot of teams – could have quit there and just let, sort of let the other team's momentum take over and will under pressure, but that is not what happened. Uh, Notre Dame fought back 
and they won pretty convincingly at the end. Like it was a pretty anticlimactic end of the game because Notre Dame had a goal or had a lead by several goals and they were playing great defense. So their goalie, Liam Entenmann, was voted the tournament MVP, and my God, he was incredible. He stopped 18 shots in the game. And personally, I don't – like, look, I said I'm not a lacrosse expert by any means. I have no idea how these guys stop anything because they show on the ticker how fast the ball is coming in, and they like most of them are coming in like 80-plus miles an hour. And then they're coming in at like point-blank range. So they got to make these moves on the fly and just quickly, and a lot of them get by him. But you know what? Liam made a bunch of stops in this one, and that was absolutely huge for Notre Dame. He was just a force in the first half. So credit to him, man. That was incredible. He was also he also said after the game that he's he's been a Notre Dame fan for his entire life. So he experienced those heartbreaks uh, during 2010 and during 2014, and uh, I, I can't even imagine how good that f- had to feel for him to be a fan and experience that and then to actually get over the hump as a player and be a critical reason why Notre Dame did get over the hump. So credit to him. Uh, Pat Kavanaugh, he's an absolute dog. He was playing with a hamstring injury that looked just brutal, man. Like he was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday and he showed the bruising on his hamstring and it is gnarly and it's only going to get worse. So there might be a partial tear there. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not sure. But the fact that he was able to play through that uh, is truly insane. So credit to him. He had a really badass answer after the game. I was able to play through um, and said that he heard about, uh, I think it was a former Marine. I don't want to butcher the stories, but I'll just say that he was, he paid tribute um, to a war veteran and how he inspired him to compete in the national championship. And I, I can only imagine the type of adrenaline that was going through him, even on one leg, man, to fight through that. So that was awesome. His younger brother, Chris Cavanaugh, added two goals as well. And then their older brother, Matt, was a lacrosse legend at Notre Dame. Um, and the Cavanaugh family is is basically as symbiotic as it gets with Notre Dame men's lacrosse. But truly, there's nobody more important to this program than their head coach, Kevin Corrigan. Uh, Kevin Corrigan, as I mentioned, he's been at Notre Dame. This is his 35th season, but he actually played college across at Virginia, and he lost in the championship in overtime as a player, and then he lost two more times as a coach. So now he's a champion, and nobody deserves it more. After the game, it was one of those things where – he, he didn't even really know how to react, and I kind of I, I got a kick out of it because the the on-the-field reporter was basically pestering him, like, how does this feel? Like, what does this mean to you? All this stuff, asking about how he felt, and he immediately deflected all of the, uh, just all the praise he could to the players and said, no, this is not about me. This is about them. I'm just so happy to see them be able to celebrate and be in this moment on the field, um, and he was just so happy for them. And if you talk to anyone uh, who's affiliated with Notre Dame Men's Lacrosse, they all talk about how great of a guy Kevin Corrigan is. This is a very pro Corrigan podcast. Um, I'm friends with his nephew Jack. He's a great guy, and the whole Corrigan family is great. So hearing uh, him talk after the game, you could just tell how much it meant to him, even if he wasn't willing to say it. Uh, so really, really happy for him. Corrigan actually set the D1 record for the most wins at a single school back in 2021. And when he inherited the Notre Dame program, they had never made the NCAA tournament. Since he's been the head coach, they've made the tournament 26 times. And it's extremely rare that you see a coach stick around at any program for that amount of time. I mean, I was thinking about this. Like, I'm 27 years old. I feel like I've been around for a decent bit. And Corgan had been coaching the Notre Dame men's lacrosse team for the previous eight years before I was born. So that's so crazy to me. The fact that he was able to endure everything that he's gone through as the coach, kept fighting, kept coming back. And Notre Dame has dealt with some painful losses during his time. And now to finally 
be on the mountaintop. That was so cool to see. So credit to him for sticking it out, keeping up the fight. I think that the game was sort of uh, emblematic of really the entire his entire career where they had a bunch of chances. It came down to the wire, and they almost split, but they just kept fighting, and they finally got over the mountaintop, and I'm so, so happy for him. I'm so happy for the guys in the team. And, uh, yeah, light up Grace Hall because Notre Dame is number one. They're a school of champions once again. And uh, how about the football team? How about we uh, get a national championship on the football field one of these days, huh? Wouldn't that be nice? All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. For the everydayers out there, uh, you won't want to miss tomorrow's show. Right now the plan is to have Luke Smith back on to discuss some big-picture questions about Marcus Freeman. We'll talk a little bit more about recruiting and things like that in the direction of the program as we get closer to Freeman's second year as the head coach. So you won't want to miss that. And on the way out, remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a follow on Twitter at LockdownIrish, on Instagram at LockdownIrishPod, and my personal Twitter account at Tyler Wojak. That's at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. I'll see you guys tomorrow.